I am the law. Welcome to Dread 3D, our new review. <laughs> uh, I'm Cormac Duff. Oh, I'm Isadora. Got distracted for a second. It's a day. And <laughs> uh, what movie are we reviewing today? Dread, which is actually one of my favorite movies, and I convinced you to watch it again with me. And it was way more violent than I remember it being. Exactly. The 1995 Sylvester Stallone classic flop, Judge Dread. Yeah, no. The whatever 2010-ish thingamabobber movie with Carl Urban, who is like chef's kiss, a fantastic actor. <laughs> this is 2012. Perfect. Um, so if someone's never heard of Judge Dredd before, how would you explain it to them, Isadora? Honestly? Yeah. Like, very honestly. Um, Police Brutality, the movie? <laughs> that is a very good point, and we'll get we'll get more into that later. Um, so just to give you a little bit of background about uh, J Judge Dredd from people who don't know it, it is a 2012 uh, science fiction action thriller um, starring Carl, Carl Urban. Set in a post-apocalyptic future where people live in these big mega cities. So to give you a bit of background for Dread, I think Dread starts off with um, Dirty Harry, which came out in 1971, which is like the ultimate loose cannon cop. What do you think of Dirty Harry, uh, Isadora? Problematic. Why problematic? So if people don't know, well, Isadora used to live in the Bay Area, so she knows uh, the Zodiac Killer quite well. And <laughs> Yeah, obviously. You said, you said you've met Ted Cruz before. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never met Ted Cruz before, but yeah, I do pick up that he's a Zodiac killer. I do pick up the hints you'd be dropping. Um, <laughs> but in all fairness, like, I think my issue with Dirty Harry, Dread, like all these movies, like, they're very good. Like, I loved Dread as a movie. Just that re-watching it, like, when I watched it in 2012, I was like, ooh, like, really good, well-paced action movie with fantastic effects. But nowadays, I kind of realize, oh, like, while the premise in science fiction is very cool, and Dread itself is quite cool. Um, there are some inherently problematic things with having officers who are inherently above the law. And mm. in Dread, like, that is part of their mandate. They actually mm. are judge, jury, and executioner. Like, that is the point of their office, because all these megacities, unfortunately, are overrun with violence. Yeah, yeah. So, like, with Dirty Harry, I think he came from the, like, the crime wave of the 1960s, and people saw cops as, like, ineffectual, and that there were these, you know, kind of red tape that were holding them from giving real justice. So, Dirty Harry, at the time, was massively popular. It was a huge hit because it was, um, it was like a wish-fulfillment fantasy, you know? It was the idea that, uh, you know, this cop would come along, he'd break, break the rules, he'd have a big gun, he'd, like, you know, brutalize criminals, and that's what people wanted. Um... And like I don't know how much of that comes from um, how much of that comes from like actual fear about urban crime and how much comes from it from like latent racism because of the end of redlining and uh, the civil rights movement and like the white flight from the suburbs. You know, upon rewatching Dread with like all the knowledge I have about like socioeconomic issues in the United States and stuff. I had like if you had asked like 15 year old me, like, do I find the Judge Dread comics? problematic i would have said no but mm. nowadays i'm like yeah there is something i mean to be fair they did have like officers shown who were 
of different ethnicities. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, like the movie is primarily a white woman and a white man with a mandate to kill whoever they believe is like going against the law. Yeah, like I think they made a conscious effort of like having a lot of the extras and secondary characters to be a mixture of race. So it wasn't like there's a bunch of white officers going in to brutalize a bunch of like black citizens. But at the same time, like you said, everyone who had like any more than five lines and any degree of power was a white character. And I hate uh, which is... being this person. Like, I mean, not like I hate being this person because obviously it's good to know these things. But it was one of those things where, like, I don't want... I love Carl Urban as an actor, and I really did enjoy the Dread comics as a child. So looking back on it and looking back on this movie and realizing, like, some of the implications that the movie has, Mm. um, even if we disregard, like, the fact that, you know, the two main judges are white, um, I think just the implication that... Not even the implication, but the mandate... That the peop- that the judges have that they can be the executioner with no standing trial, mm. like that's actually terrifying to me nowadays. Like as a teenager, the concepts of Judge Dredd seemed so cool, and nowadays I'm like, that is terrifying. That like a cop yeah. could have a legal mandate to just kill you. Yeah, I felt really uncomfortable when the scenes where he like basically tortures a black criminal to get information about um, his boss. Uh, like, in, in the wake of the George Floyd cleanings of Black Lives Matter, it just seems very uncomfortable. I'm not sure it would get made now. I think that's the one thing that's kind of dated it most most badly. Um, but, like, to go back to the to go back to the roots of it, like, Judge Dredd was a satire. Like, it was a British comic. It wasn't, like, you know, American Marvel or DC comic. And it was a satire that what if you took this Dirty Harry thing or this cop who doesn't play by the rules and just, you know, shoots from the hip and shoots who he likes. What if you took that to its logical extreme? a cop literally would be judged during executioner you know it'd be giving out like death sentences on the street and it would be perfectly legal um so i think they took that kind of you know gung-ho american mentality and they're like yes this is what it leads towards and you know we have had like an, ev- uh, an epidemic of uh police violence and obviously it's occurred for decades but it's just a lot more visible now with camera phones um so like i'd say probably the, the comic books had more kind of a sly kind of humor to them and I'm sure the, um, like, it's a British writer as well. So I'm sure he kind of had a, uh, you know, had a kind of satirical undertone as well. But I'd say, I think a lot of that is lost in the film itself. Like, the film plays it pretty straight. Yeah. Oh, also, we should, but I know that we're going into all this commentary, but we should also explain, like, what the movie actually entails. So yeah. basically, the entire premise of the movie begins with mm. Judge Dredd being assigned a rookie who is a mm. psychic because there are now mutants in these mega cities. There's like a small percentage of people who are mutants, and she's a very powerful mind reader. Yeah. And she unfortunately is completely inept at actually being a judge. Mm-hmm. But It's her first day. But her powers are so good that they mm. want to pass her so badly that they're like, please take her for a test run because we would really like her to pass somehow, please. This, this sounds like you in medical school. Rude! Rude! <laughs> Jesus Christ, rude! This I am so, brilliant! This is so I'm, hard. I am underappreciated in this relationship. Jesus <laughs> Mean! Okay! Mm. This is how you want to do it, eh? Okay! Okay! So, basically, we have a, dr- a new drug in their... S- we suck. Okay, we have a new yeah. drug. The drug's called in- slow-mo. 
Yes, we have a which leaves some really awesome uh, special effects because whenever someone takes it, the camera does go into this really beautiful, visual, artistic, multicolored slow-mo. I like that it's a action movie that's rated R, but is extremely bright. I feel yes, like nowadays... That's one of the things I really enjoyed. Like most action movies and video games, especially for this era, were like really kind of, you know, dark and gothic and grim dark and like the colors completely taken away. This one feels like like you know it's like there's splashes of paint everywhere it's extremely colorful and whenever we do these slow-mo scenes where it's this new illicit drug that mm -hmm. gives you a pleasurable effect and also dilates time slows down time down to one percent of its of its real value so you experience everything in real slow motion um like the camera it's kind of like it's like a saturation filter on your if you're taking an instagram photo so everything appears like even more kind of bright and vivid than it than uh than elsewhere and uh it's just it's an incredible effect and like the white light refracts and stuff i don't know exactly how they did it but it makes the um it makes the action scenes look absolutely beautiful yeah all commentary i might have about the movie is that it is actually a very beautiful movie um in the sense of the art direction i thought that was exceedingly impressive yeah. it actually makes me like a part of i really wanted a dread too like i did really want a dread too back in 2012 but a part of me is happy that they didn't do it because i do not know how they would have beat the visual effects of this movie like i found the visual effects extremely unique and cutting edge and i do not yeah. think the movie could have repeated it yeah i think if dread 2 came out in like 2015 2016 it would have been less of a revelation and certainly if it came out now i think the rest of the world has caught up with it um but uh yeah it's like it's the the kind of future that it paints it has elements that are dated, but elements that are quite relevant. So elements that are dated, Judge Dredd comic initially came out in the 1970s, and there's obviously massive fear about nuclear war at the time. And mm -hmm. like you said, the character of Anderson, who is, who's his kind of rocky um, sidekick, is um, uh, is like a mutant, and her mutant, mutant ability, instead of just having like an extra arm or something, or, you know, uh, or having cancer, which is most likely with a mutation, um, is that she um, has psychic ability. Um so there's kind of fear about nuclear warfare and most of the world's population has been destroyed by nuclear warfare, which has dated, but there's also a fear of and like the Malthusian catastrophe as well. There's a big metropolis that they live in called Mega City One, where like 800 million people used to live there. And then there's nuclear warfare and now it's much less. Um, but then also that the living standard is really low because loads of jobs have been automated by drones and machines and stuff. So people just live in these big slums, like these big blocks. And that's where most of the film takes place, essentially one giant apartment block. Like, I think that part has dated really well, because if anything, we're closer now to all these jobs being automated and for people's living standards going down. Like, maybe Andrew Yang is right, you know, maybe this is the future where we all, like, live in, you know, dire poverty, just ordering stuff from Amazon and, uh, like, you know, staying in our apartments. I mean, valid. Um, but I do think... Uh... I do find really interesting that the movie actually does basically take place all in one location. It takes place in one gigantic, like 100 yeah. floor, um, basically apartment building block that has everything in it, including medical center. And we yeah. have our villainess, yeah. our main antag, it's, who's my base, Cersei. Yes. So the film is incredibly focused. So it's like it's like a Greek tragedy, this unity of action, time and place. So this movie is only like 96 minutes long and it's coming out on Netflix soon. So good it's it's so it's so focused um it's a it's a lot like the raid where the entire movie takes place essentially in one location like one mm. building across separate floors and in one day like, as the film goes in one day yeah exactly and you know there's no subplots like there's no thing where it's like oh we've got to save this baby who's like stuck on floor 11 or this insulin dependent diabetic woman who needs her shot it's like 
we need to destroy the villain and this is how we're going to do it and it's it shows like incredible focus and it has one of the he's probably the best science fiction i think one of the reasons it's so good is as the best science fiction writer going writing it do you have any idea who wrote this film is it our no please tell me alex garland oh really yeah Cool. So it makes sense. It's, he's British, it's sci-fi, and it uh, has a cameo, or it's like a small role, by Donald Gleeson. Oh, yeah. Donald Gleeson's in this. <laughs> we forgot yeah. for a second. Donald Gleeson's role is, like, unnecessary. He is literally just there. I, I don't know why Donald Gleeson's there. His role has no necessity in the movie. <laughs> so if people don't know, Alex Garland is an incredibly talented <clears throat> writer and director who rose to fame uh, writing 28 Days Later, the, the zombie... Um, thriller with um, Killian Murphy and has also kind of made his name by uh, writing and directing uh, science fiction pieces like Ex Machina, uh, Devs, Annihilation and he wrote this film um, and we've mentioned a Carl Urban who you might recognize from Star Trek he plays Bones the Doctor, plays Dread um, and Lena Hadley who uh, plays Cersei in Game of Thrones uh, plays Mama so our he villain. Was- amazing in this like fair play to lena hadley because the woman can play villains she is so good do you know she was cast in this before game of thrones ever premiered i did not i actually assumed that she got the film role because of game of thrones no no the game of thrones i think it shot its pilot at this stage but like no one had seen anything and the pilot was awful so um at this stage she was most famous for being the queen in 300 so, Jesus, if you yeah. pick any actress in 2012 and be like, I'm going to choose this person to be, like, a former sex worker who, like, turns crime kingpin, like, you could not have done better Lena Hadley. She's amazing in it. Fair play. She is terrifying. And what I do appreciate, like, I know that we always applaud, like, traditionally attractive women when they get, like, unattractive for a film role. But I will say, like, for someone who... I remember when I saw the first season of Game of Thrones, I thought she was, like, one of the most beautiful women I'd ever seen when she was Cersei. Like, back when she had, like, the mm-hmm. exceptionally long, like, glamorous hair and stuff. Mm. I was like, she is gorgeous. She's beautiful. Like, before you figure out that she's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and in this movie, like, she legit just, like, striked fear. From, like, sex she came in with, like, her choppy short hair. She was just, like, and they gave her, like, a scar. And she, she just was scary. Like, really yeah. pretty, but terrifying. Yeah. She is so good in this film. So she plays like a former sex worker who um, was like brutalized by her pimp, left with scars. And like then she enacts her revenge on him by like feminizing him, which uh, they leave. (laughs) They leave to the imagination. And uh, then she like wrong. She runs a kind of crime gang uh, that takes up this whole tower block, 50,000 people. And she is like incredible in the film. Like she doesn't play it over the top. She doesn't like, you know. Um, like scream at people but she is just terrifying you get the impression that no one would cross her and I don't think it's like you know trying to be like ultra feminist like yes girl women can do it too it's basically like she's just a terrifying person who happens to be a woman yeah I actually did appreciate that um like at their in their intro it was like relevant that she was like a female because she Mm. like you know what I mean because she's like called mama and all this stuff and her backstory and everything but then like I don't know, I feel like for a lot of female villains, like, the fact that they're a woman becomes, like, an active discussion at some point in the movie mm. or something. But yeah. in this, it didn't. She was just a badass. Like, the entire time, she was like, I am going to murder-stab you. And that's her entire personality. <laughs> I'm going to murder-stab you. I've come to murder-stab everyone who here would like to get murder-stabbed today. 
Yeah. And like she she runs the crime family so well, like when the judges get trapped inside and they lose communication with the outside world, she's like, we've got to kill them. But we've got to kill them with like bullets and, you know, not like we've got to make it look like they came in and they were just shot and they're trying to arrest someone like there's a cool, calm logic to what she's doing. You're like, this is someone who'd run a kingpin or run a crime organization, you know, yeah. someone who would be a sociopath. But He's also have this like efficiency and have this dedication. I feel the female characters in this film were quite incredibly well written and well acted. So both Lena Hadley and Anderson, who's the kind of rookie cop played by Olivia Thurley, like in any other film, they would have been like, oh, let's throw in like a subplot or let's like have the villain try to like seduce the main character. But they just don't do that here. They're like they're women, but they're also like extremely competent in the case of Lena Hadley or, you know, just a rookie on their first day a la um, training day with uh, Olivia Thurley. Like, this probably shouldn't be so revolutionary, but yeah, the fact that, like, there are a few moments in which, like, the fact that the rookie is a female is relevant, because, for example, um, when she's carrying around the, um, like, second-in-command or, like, third-in-command criminal who they've captured from mm-hmm. Lena Hadley's squad, like, he definitely keeps trying to make her uncomfortable due to the fact that she's a woman and he's, like, a far bigger, like, man mm-hmm. than her, and he's like, you know, if I wasn't in chains, like, mm. Yeah. Um, but other than that... Well, like, I mean, I think he's trying to intimidate her and he's trying to take like the, you know, the threat yeah. of sexual violence. Like I don't, it's never like, oh, she can't hold a gun because she's a woman. Oh yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Like other than those moments in which like, which to be fair, weren't that many in which like she was being like physically threatened by like a bigger, taller man. Um, mm-hmm. I like that they were never like overly sexualized. Like they are two like gorgeous females and they were given the action heroine treatment that they like deserved you know what i mean they were just badass and it was okay for them to be badass and at no point did anyone go like oh like you're too pretty to like do this or at no point did they like struggle with like a gun or struggle to be kick-ass or you know yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and they didn't they didn't like need a scene where they like you know put down a man to show that they're to show that they're strong to show that they're a great woman you know they're just like strong in their own right um i was like Yes, go oh, ahead. Yeah. I sorry, I just want to say I really appreciated Anderson because she also showcased like the issues with um being a judge. Like at one point she murder I mean, spoilers obviously if you're watching this. Um she murders like one of the men well, I mean like not murders per se because he she, was she in executes the like yeah. like she like dread says like you know he tried to kill us this is against the law execute him it's like your training rookie she executes yeah. him later she discovers that he was someone's husband and she and like the woman who like lets him into the apartment has like a child of her and anderson feels like genuinely troubled by the fact that she did something like that and i i actually thought that was good because i think that if we mm. just had judge dread in the movie there wouldn't be as many implications about the issues of being a judge but with yeah. anderson there we can actually kind of be like oh wait it actually is really bad that you can yeah. be both judge and executioner yeah i think anderson is like the audience surrogate where she's convinced the system and as she's in it she's like this really problematic system and by the end she's like willing to leave it and it's spoiler she's willing to leave it like it's a little bit like training day where she's become disillusioned with it um and dread has also like gone through his own character arc he's like you know maybe this whole system isn't you know exactly perfect like maybe my system of just brutalizing criminals isn't the way to to get things done like there might be a, a third path Maybe I will say I don't know if Dread actually like in my opinion from the movie I don't know if Dread changes like that much. However, I, I, I don't I don't think he changes his view, his view on the system, but he definitely changes his view that like the laws, law rules are rules. Like I think he definitely bends his rules towards the end for yeah. her. 
because he bent his rule, Franzen, because she wasn't supposed to have passed. Because yeah. there is a rule stating that if your primary weapon is taken away from you, you fail your trial. And yeah. Anderson got her gun taken away from her. Yeah, yeah. So she should have failed. And Dredd, like, made the exception and didn't tell anyone. Which, to be fair, is definitely, like, a character arc. But it's not... Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that, like, Anderson, he's going to be rolling around his bike being like, no. mm, perhaps I, mean, I should not brutalize he, anyone he's, today. He's still, he still needs to be Dredd for the sequel, but... I would say that he, he he's changed slightly through the film. Like it's a minimal arc, but it, it is a character arc all the same. Mm. Like the I, the world changes him rather than him changing the world. I also do think that like, in terms of being willing to bend things, I think um, in the movie when we're shown that there are bad judges or like judges that are easily bribed into doing yeah. very evil things, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I think that also made Dread realize that like they probably needed good judges out there and yeah. anderson was probably the best good judge they were gonna get anytime soon yeah that's it like you you do need good judges and it also shows them like the system is i think he really to some degree the system's problematic if these judges have total power but they're humans and humans will be corrupted and like that's that's what happens too like i think at the end of the film we're meant to think like oh i'd love to watch dread too but also in the same way you watch Jurassic Park and you're supposed to think maybe Jurassic Park isn't a good idea. I think you're supposed to come out of this film thinking maybe like the whole J- Dread uh, Judge Jury and Executioner cop system is not a good idea either. Yeah, but also one of the things that I actually thought really ter- was really terrifying about being a judge is that um, in the beginning of the movie when they're talking about Anderson, they say something really quickly like, you know, she's an orphan, so by protocol she was raised in the academy from like a young age to be a judge. And I'm like... Are you guys literally brainwashing children to be, like, problematic future cops? Is that what's it happening like in this movie? It, problematic it seems like some future sort of, cops. It, it seems like some sort of dystopian brave new world with, like, a lot of kind of institutional, like, homes. Um, yeah, no, it's a problematic system. And I really, I think Carl Urban as well is, is under appreciated. Like, he, he plays the role kind of very straight. He's always got, like, scowl in his face, like... If anyone was in the so movie, like Dread, Dread has a visor grunt. over the top half of his face, so he's only acting with like essentially his nose and mouth, and he's always got a scowl. Like, he never uh, takes off the mask. He never takes off the mask. Yeah, and when they basically they made a film out of this was Sylvester Stallone in the mid '90s, and Stallone takes off the mask all the time because they're like, oh, we need to get Stallone on, on screen, you know? Like Dread never takes off the mask. There's not even a scene like The Mandalorian where he gets injured and he has to take off the mask. He never yeah. takes it off. It's amazing. In The Mandalorian. <laughs> He's straight up like a part of a cult that can't take off his mask, and yet one episode a season, the Mandalorian like definitely takes off his mask. I, and yet I think, we have I think, that's a, I think that's in his contract, so he can get an Emmy. I've said before, if he wants to get yeah. an Emmy nomination for best actor, he needs to take off his mask because there's some inane, um, there's some inane rule that uh, you can't be a masked figure, like a luchador, if you want to get an Emmy nomination. No, but um, straight up, I thought it was so cool that Carl Urban like acted with the mask on the whole time. Like I, I always so difficult, like. I always like, appreciated. I, I, I can barely make out someone's ex- facial expressions with like you know coronavirus masks on. Like, and this guy's like the opposite. He doesn't even like he doesn't even have his eyes. He just has his like lower mouth. He's like, I've got to give all my expression through that. I know he's not that emotive character, but even still, I thought it was really impressive. Like, um, I think a lot of actors wouldn't be willing to do that or like open to doing it. And I just think it really demonstrates that Carl Urban, in my opinion, is an aggressively underappreciated actor. I think he's really good. I particularly think he's you, great in The Boys, which you, you which you won't see, but is really good. I thought you I thought you skipped past all the scenes in The Boys. You've just watched the superhero scenes. You I don't occasionally watch. watch the Carl Urban scenes. He's like <laughs> the only he's the only non superpowered human that's worthwhile in The Boys. <laughs>
No, to be fair, there's one real there's one really kick ass like female in like the boys team who's really cool as well. But it's like to be fair, it's literally her and Carl Urban carrying like the goodies. Yeah, I think I, I think the baddies are far more in the in the boys from what I heard are far more entertaining. Um but like it, so Carl Urban is a great choice. Sylvester Stallone, by contrast, was a terrible choice in nineteen ninety five. So I think he was clearly given a role because Demolition Man had come out two years earlier, which is similarly um know um uh, stallone in kind of a futuristic utopian slash dystopian worlds like you know fighting crime um but whereas demolition man was a really clever social satire that's data really well like uh um his judge dread film was just like a kind of boring like revenge trailer which is dated terribly and mm-hmm. also he was the worst choice in the world of any actor for playing dread do you have any idea why because he can't emote properly to save his life and specifically with the bottom half of his face. Oh, is it because he has like in a gigantic bottom half of his face? or No, so he has, if you look at his face, if you look at the left side of his face, he can't move it. If you look at him when he smiles, his smile is asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. So so when he, when Sylvester Sloan was born, uh, there, was, there were difficulties with the delivery. So the obstetricians at the time used forceps to get him out. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to have like two, two poles with forceps. So it's, when they grabbed him, um, the forceps compressed his facial nerve and left him with permanent damage to the left lower half of his face. So he has decreased um, kind of sensory and motor movements of his lower jaw, of his mouth, of his tongue. Um, so that's what gives him a slurred speech. So when you hear Sylvester Stallone talking like this, it's because he can't move his tongue properly because he's got no innovation on the left side. Like that's why he's got like such a distinctive voice. And also, that, why... I actually thought it was his accent. Like this entire time, I thought that it was. So... To be fair, he pulls it off really well. Like the man has made a career from an exceptionally distinctive. Yeah, and it is voice. a very distinctive voice. But like again, he was the worst choice because if you've got Judge Dredd, you're only acting with a quarter of your face. Or so you're only acting with the lower half of your face. But um, now it's Stallone. <laughs> he doesn't have like a quarter of that, so he's acting with like a quarter of his face, essentially the right bottom quarter of his face. So he was the the worst choice. Or dread. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting. When I was in, in uh, RCSI, I said that to uh, Clive Lee, our anatomy demonstrator, and he was like, oh, that is interesting when he's talking about Bell's palsy. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. Like, fair play for him, because obviously, like, making a career when you have a kind of, like, um issue on a, on a section of your face, particularly considering how famous he is, like, mm-hmm. exceptionally impressive. And to be fair, like, he's made millions on that accent. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, but I can understand why it would be very difficult, like, position to put an actor that way, like Carl Urban obviously has to try very hard to emote mm. in that movie. And yeah. I can I can only imagine how difficult it is if it's only like one quarter of your face that will do like a downward, like mm, yeah. grumpy but face. If, but I mean, imagine if you got like Nicole Kidman after you've taken a lot of Botox and she's like, for this new role, you can only act with your forehead. Like, it'd be like like casting like that. I just think in retrospect, it was, it was a terrible choice. Um, but fair play to Sloan and his illustrious career. And fair play to Carl Urban for bringing um, a lot of credence to the role. Um, anything you want to add about Dread? I just think that overall, considering the fact that it was made in 2012, um, before we started... Ha- to be fair, we had been having very important discussions around the role of police, but I think before it became like an exceptionally mainstream topic, mm-hmm. I do think that the movie does a good job of showcasing some of the issues of yeah. um, like cops having the ability to like be judge, jury, and executioner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that overall, it was a very good design for an action movie. Like mm-hmm. I think that if we... 
if we without like the social commentary which to be fair is very important like social implications social commentary are very important for movies but i think that if we consider the evolution it's contributed to in action movies mm. i think that it's like a really good and like not even good but like important film because it mm. showed that we don't have to have these monocolor dark exceptionally sad movies be the way that we show action movies they can be bright and multicolored and have all these fantastical shots but mm. yet still be exceptionally impactful and honestly terrifying and semi mm. like yeah. that I forgot how violent this movie was. Also, it was in, 2000- it's incredibly violent. Like we're so used to watching PG thirteen movies now. There's a k- chasing at start, and they like hit it, and the bad guys like hit a uh, pedestrian, and like the, their window is like completely smashed. Like there's blood on the window, and I was like, Jesus! Like I'm not used to seeing this in a movie. I'm used to like seeing like you know some old lady jump out of the way carrying a baby. It's exceptionally graphic. Um, and I I watched this when I was like twenty or like nineteen mm-hmm. probably, and I do not. Yeah. Like, for some reason, I kept pitching it to you. I was like, we need to watch it. We need to watch it. And I completely forgot how violent it was. Like, I knew that it was really colorful. But somehow mm-hmm. the complete, like, violence and grotesqueness of some scenes did not, um... Mm-hmm. I didn't remember it. And uh, fair play to Lena Hadley, who um probably played one of the most terrifying villains I've seen in, like, a long time in a movie. Like, I felt genuinely threatened by her presence. Yeah, she is incredible in Cersei Lannister and equally good in Israel. Um... Yeah, it's uh, for me, it is, like you said, I think especially since 2014 with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, there's elements of it that haven't dated that well, but it is a commentary on police violence. And it, I think it ultimately comes with the with the message that police violence and no oversight is a bad idea. Um, so while it probably wouldn't get made as it is today, I think that it, its image or its, um, its message is overall a kind of positive message that fits some of our values. Um, so is it or um bop or scam? I think it is a bop. And I also think that um if you read its message about the problematicness of allowing cops to have um full power, I do actually think that particularly for 2012, it was like a surprisingly woke movie for 2012, I feel yeah. like. I think it's dated incredibly well. So I'm gonna give it a bop as well. Uh very good film. I've been on a Bob Roll. I think I haven't given a scam in like eight reviews. Um Ooh, very strange. So, We'll have to review bad movies again soon. Um, Perfect. Anything you want to tell our audience? Really good action scenes. Just like, I mean, you're going to have to close your eyes half the time, but that's a pretty good movie. (laughs) Unless you're very good with blood. I am not good with that much blood. (laughs) Grand. Okie dokie. Well, goodbye, everyone. And by everyone, I mean uh, Mama Lamego, who's our only listener. Hi, Mommy.